It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot, hands Corey Davis, wide open. Davis still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at jetsinsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Meyer of NYC. He says, gentlemen, thank you so much for the continuing great draft coverage. What do you think the best options are at this point for backup quarterback? Well, thank you for the kind words there. Appreciate that. As far as best options at backup quarterback, we talked about this earlier i like nick Foles as a possibility he's not super expensive and they can get him for nothing he's an accomplished veteran super bowl ring and he won't embarrass you if you have to play him for a couple of games chris you talked about nick mullins that's another one he's young he knows the system and he also won't embarrass you for a couple of games so just off the top of my head i'd say Foles and mullins are two of the better options mullins would be my number one there uh and you know i'm I would prefer Mullins over a Foles, but, you know, with talking about it, the, sure, go ahead, Foles, fine. After that, I don't – you know, the, the the Patriots just signed Hoyer, and I know the Jets were interested there. Um, so there, there's really not a lot else there. I just – I would be really comfortable with Mullins. Again, uh, watch it, I watched what he did in San Francisco, and, you know – they weren't winning a lot of games with him, that, but he had that uh, offense running uh, functionally. And again, to the point where I could, you could evaluate the rest of the team. That's the thing I need most out of a backup quarterback in this situation. Um, and so I, I'd go with that. Next question comes in from Idris Arnad. He says, while a loss is a loss, how important do you think the manner in which the Jets may lose games this season is? In other words, a blowout loss versus a close, hard-fought loss. I don't really put that much stock in the margin of victory or margin of defeat so much as I want to look and see how these players are performing because you want to see them competing. You want to see them not getting embarrassed. But if they lose by two touchdowns, yet the key pieces play well, they just get overpowered by a team that's better than them, I'm not really that stressed about it. So I think that the key here is how did Zach Wilson look? How did the pass rush look? How did a player like Elijah Moore or Denzel Mims look at the wide receiver position? How was the offensive line starting to gel on that left side with Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker? That tells you a lot more to me than margin of victory or margin of defeat. You do want to see them be more competitive 
and you don't want to see too many blowouts. But I think the final score and the margin of victory or defeat is far less important than the results you get from the key pieces that you hope are going to be the cornerstone of the Jets franchise going forward. Well, again, what you said, I agree with it. Uh, and I'll take it a little further going back to what I said before. Obviously, a blowout's bad, but a blowout's not it, – it's bad more for the fact that then we're getting into the I can't evaluate things uh, category. You're down by 30, and then all of a sudden the offense starts doing stuff. Then you're like, okay, but can we even take anything away from this? They're already up 30. Defense is playing prevent defense. Uh, then that makes it like a worthless game if you get down 30 real early. But I don't care about the point spread. I don't care about uh, how bad they're losing as much. I care about uh, even more specific than than you, what you were going with. I care about what the offense and Zach Wilson looks like. That is really all I care about going forward this year. Sure, I you want to see the defense start to be put in place too, but if they don't if Zach Wilson isn't doesn't turn out to be the answer at quarterback, then that's going to be a problem. Everything else you can figure out uh, later eventually. Um, the the thing about the blowouts is again you get in too many of those blowouts and then we can't evaluate the the rest of the game and that's kind of worthless. You need to be able to evaluate all this stuff, but <clears throat> you want to see them be competitive, of course. Um, you want but. I'm mostly focused on how is this offense going to look? Does it look like there is something you can build on here going into next year in the future? And yeah, I want to see Quinn Williams take a step and Sheldon Rankins look really good. Carl Lawson. I want to see the pieces here, but there's still holes in the defense that like, I'm not, there's nothing that can happen this season where I'm going to look at Robert Sala at, like differently as a defensive coach because of the holes there. Um, so there's going to be specific things I'm looking for with those players. But again, if everything is terrible and Zach Wilson looks great, then that's, that's going to be a W for you going forward. That's the most important thing here is you, you can't have everything else looking great and Zach Wilson looking lost. That would be the, the worst. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Jets fan in CLT. He says, everything is rosy with Robert Sala right now, but that will change quickly after his first questionable in-game decision. As a first-time head coach, has there been any consideration of hiring an experienced assistant head coach to help Sala with late-game tactical coaching calls? I'm having flashbacks to Dick Curl. I don't know if you remember that, Chris. That was the guy that Herm Edwards supposedly hired to help him with clock management because uh, that was yeah. a big problem for him. And then it almost became one of those jokes like Wilson, the neighbor from Home Improvement, or Carlton, the doorman, where you never actually saw the guy and you wondered if he really existed or if Herm Edwards had made him up because, as we know, Herm was a colorful character who liked to tell stories. So who really knows there? I'm sure Dick Curl actually exists. It was just a funny joke at the time If they were going to hire an assistant head coach They'd have done it by now Is really my best answer to this The one thing I will say with Salah Is that I like when you hear him talk about The way that a coaching staff should work How he seems to really trust his staff And the people that are around him And realize that it's a team effort And that everybody needs to be able to be given The freedom to do their job While still being given oversight 
in case something is going off the rails. So I think that Robert Sala is mostly going to be that guy who's the manager who lets you do your job. So that's Jeff Ulbrich. He'll be calling the plays and he'll be running the day-to-day of the defense. That is Mike LaFleur. He'll be calling the plays and running the day-to-day of the offense. But Sala will focus on being the CEO, the guy who is on top of everything and oversees all the different departments and all the different positions and units. So I think that with that being the case, yes, there are going to be some growing pains in terms of, as you said, in-game decisions and clock management and stuff like that. But that's going to happen with any first-year head coach, even if he has an established assistant head coach with him. It's just the name of the game. But if you look at the way that Salah has spoken and how he's talked about the way that he sees himself as a head coach, you have to be encouraged. That said, of course, the old expression that Mike Tyson made popular is everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So it's good to hear what he has to say. But once we see him in action, we'll know a little bit more. But that's my answer. If they were going to do that, they'd have done it already. And I'm not super concerned that they didn't. Uh, so I, the name Dick Curl didn't mean anything to me. I remember the, the everything with Herm Edwards and the clock management stuff. Because I was watching those games and I was criticizing Herm Edwards for that myself. But I didn't remember Dick Curl, the name. But I did look it up. He is a real person. He was also <laughs> a, a coach and offensive coordinator for the NFL Europe Leagues. Um, the Barcelona Dragons. So, so that's interesting there. Chris, is he a yes. real person, or is that just some sort of bio that Herm Edwards planted to make us all think that he's a real person, and this is all part of the Dick Curl conspiracy? I mean, it could be. This it could be <laughs> a deep conspiracy, but I'm looking at uh, Pro Football Archives right now, and yeah, I, he's. He was of the, so he was the offensive coordinator and receivers coordinator for the Barcelona Dragons, and then in '98 he was the head coach of the Frankfurt Galaxy, and then he came here to be a tight ends coach with the Jets, and then assistant head to the head coach in 2005. So, uh, and then he followed Herm to Kansas City. It appears. So I mean, maybe there's pictures of him. I don't remember. But, yeah, so there's that. Um, I also appreciate you uh, saying, uh, Jeff Ober, saying saying his name because I was trying to go with his name before, but uh, I kept thinking about I, – I watched the show on Netflix, The Last Kingdom. It's like a Viking show, and the main character's uh, name is Uthred. And so I was going to for his name before, and I almost said Uthred, so I just pulled, pulled an audible and skipped his name altogether. <laughs> um, but as far as – uh, hiring, uh, you're right. If if that's what they're going to do, they would have already hired him there. Um, but I think that Robert Sala is go. He's going to be more of a true CEO type here, and yeah, he's going to probably stick his nose in those defensive meetings a little bit more than he's going to stick his nose in the offensive meetings. He's probably going to contribute to the game planning a little bit more there. But he's still going to be enough of a CEO overview of the whole team that. He's not going to be so entrenched in the defensive meetings like Todd Bowles or Rex Ryan was or so entrenched in the offensive meetings like Adam Gates was who didn't even pay attention to the defense that he's going to have more time to be able to look around at all this stuff. And then also from everything that we know about Robert Sala and heard from Robert Sala, he is so details-oriented – 
yeah, maybe there's going to be some speed bumps in year one. Of course, there's going to be some learning on the job, but he's so details oriented and so focused on these things. And he has been around, uh, learned under Kyle Shanahan, learned under Pete Carroll. Uh, he has been around enough places to see what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and being so detail oriented with him, that that's not something that I have a concern about long term. I I think he will have no problem figuring that out. Again, they, I could see, of course, there will be some hiccups uh, early on, but I don't think that you should have any worries that he's not going to be able to figure that out. He, he there's he's going to remove enough from his plate that he's going to be able to focus on that and draw from what he's learned in the past and the different places he's been that I don't think that's going to be an, an issue to, to see about. Obviously we'll, we'll wait and see how it turns out. Cause if it, if it's worse than we think, then that's something we'll have to look at, but I'd be surprised if that's going to be a real problem moving forward. Next question comes in from Fergus OB one. He says, do you see Michael Carter as running back number one in this offense? If so, what type of rushing yards would you be happy with for the season? I'd be ecstatic with 850 yards and seven touchdowns. I do think that he could be the primary back. And again, we've talked about this. What that means is different than what it would have meant years ago. I think Michael Carter could be a 15 to 20 touch a game guy. Maybe five times he catches the ball out of the backfield, 15 times he carries the ball. And that would be the most touches for running back in the backfield. As far as actual numbers, I'm not going to go with raw numbers because, again, it's going to depend on how much he touches the ball. But I would like to see him average between four and four and a half yards a carry. And then if he can get, like you said, between five and seven all-purpose touchdowns, that would be awesome. Especially if we're talking about a fourth-round rookie in a brand new offense with a brand new quarterback because if he's producing that'll take a lot off of Zach Wilson's shoulders. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things here. Number one, I fully expect the jets to do something similar to what the 49ers do where they basically have four or five running backs. Like they're going to have a rotation no matter what they're going to rotate guys in and out. You would think, okay, that might hurt some of Michael Carter's numbers but the flip side of that, especially this year, I expect the Jets to be extremely run heavy this year um, and to try to build a passing game off of that, of course, but to try not to put too much on Zach Wilson's plate year one. I expect them to lean super heavy on the run. And then I think, you know, year two, year three, you, you incorporate a little bit more Zach Wilson passing, passing, passing. Um so I, there's going to be a stable a rotation of running backs. They're going to split carries. You're definitely not going – we're not talking about somebody getting uh, – Michael Carter getting 30 touches a game, 30-plus uh, a, a game. Um, you know, at where he's going to uh, – is he going to be the primary back? Is he going to be primary back to start? I don't know. By the end of the year, barring injury, of course, I, I would expect him to have – the most carries, uh, the most uh, production. I would expect him to be the n- the number one, the lead by by the end of the season. I think he would finish the season leading in all those categories. But I I still think you're going to see a, a heavy dose of Ty Johnson, some Tevin Campbell. I still think you're going to see a lot of other rotation here. Um, <clears throat> I'm with you. I don't like doing uh, stat predictions. But 
around, uh, uh, you know, over 800, 8 to 900 yards, like flirting with that 1,000-yard mark sounds about right. Yeah, I, that that sounds like a good uh, uh, gauge to put him at. And then, yeah, you know, maybe like four to five targets in the passing game. And yeah, about probably about 15, uh, averaging around 15 touches a game. And I think he will be very productive with those touches. But again, I do expect that they'll be uh, get the other running backs will be getting a decent amount of work as well. That's going to wrap up part two of the mailbag. Make sure that you're following Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider and reading his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And check out everything we're doing over at PlayLikeAJet.com. Luke Grant's got an over-under betting guide if you want to get in on the action early and start betting on some of these teams over-under win totals for the 2021 season. And speaking of Luke, he's doing some great work on our YouTube channel right now. Film breakdowns of Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson, dominant performance over Western Kentucky. He's got one of Michael Carter as well and so much more. Plus, Caleb Pace's commentaries, Pace's playbook. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And make sure you give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.